0: It's another Friday night, Friday evening, I should say, and so it's another night with me joining you to discuss the news, the politics, the back and forth, the current events, the debates, the controversies of the day, or should I say, of the past several weeks. I wasn't with you guys last week because I was in Washington, D.C., which was a beautiful trip, and the week before that, obviously, was Fourth of July, and, uh... I had a good time with friends and family. I hope all of you did, too, even though we all discussed that uh, not everybody's in a celebratory mood about the Fourth of July these days. But it is what it is. We're going to delve into what's been going on the last few weeks. Later on, I have a guest, Alex Darlington, who's going to join us. Um, Everything I say in this podcast is strictly my opinion. It's not the opinion of any other entity or any other person. Everything I say is strictly in a personal capacity. As a private citizen, it's me speaking to you as just me, Larry K. But you know I keep it real. Tonight, it looks like we have a very, very small live audience. It's unfortunate. But everybody uh, who's going to listen on the recorded stream, it was a a fun, solitary night without you while we were recording. I guess people are just... uh, busy with summertime activities and whatnot but it is what it is the show must go on and so it will continue to go on so first up on the agenda tonight is this uh joe biden has visited the middle east he's currently in the middle east and there's a lot of news coming out of the middle east regarding his visit you know it's kind of funny biden was you know like many presidents do before they actually become president was taking saudi arabia to task for their various issues with human rights violations and specifically for the assassination of jamal khashoggi uh... A journalist who was living in virginia under voluntary exile he was invited to the saudi arabian embassy he was killed uh... potentially dismembered um, and it is widely known according to U.S. intelligence and other sources, that Crown Prince uh, bin Salman was a party to that. He knew it was going to happen. He may have even ordered it. He certainly was aware of it. And Biden, you know, basically pledged to take him to task for that. Nonetheless, um, he is, was seen fist bumping bin Salman, during his trip, and um, he said, Biden said to news media that he did hold uh, bin Salman accountable for Khashoggi's murder, but that, you know, the crown prince denied any involvement, and then they just proceeded to talk about other things. I don't know how forceful it was. It kind of is reminiscent of when Trump said he confronted Putin about interfering in the election, and he said, well, Putin denied it. Biden said that bin Sal- the crown prince denied it, um, and we don't know what really occurred in that conversation. So it is what it is. Um Biden said he expects progress on energy from Saudi Arabia. That's why we have the relationship with them. Who are we kidding? We have a relationship with Saudi Arabia because of the fact that we need their energy. We need the oil, that's what we need. And so we're going to continue that relationship. And every U.S. president, unfortunately, looks the other way regarding a lot of their human rights violations, a lot of the other international things they're involved in, simply to watch out for U.S. interests worldwide. That is a necessary thing that has to be done. Sometimes you have to swallow difficult pills uh, when you have interests abroad. And that's what Biden is continuing to do. But it's just noteworthy and it's newsworthy. Also in the news of Biden traveling to the Middle East, uh, Biden actually, there was a news story out this week that Biden kind of embraced one of his predecessor's policies, one of Donald Trump's policies, specifically Trump had formalized peaceful relationships between Israel Israel, and um, various Middle Eastern countries. Biden is looking to build upon that. The news, unfortunately, out of Israel right now, there is continued assaults in the West Bank. There are more protests. There are more assaults taking place. The controversy is reigniting and stirring up once again. It always will, and it seems like it always has and always will continue to do. Benjamin Netanyahu apparently is gearing up to run again for prime minister. And again, it's expected that his conservative party is expected to win the most seats in parliament. So we might be dealing with once again Netanyahu, who's going to get in there and be ultra conservative and ultra aggressive and, you know, beating the table and sounding the alarm and, you know, destabilizing the Israeli situation once again. It looks like it may happen, and so Biden's over there trying to kind of get out ahead of it. It's not good for any of us if Nutanyahoo gets in, but it is what it is, and now that's something to keep an eye on in the Middle East as well. Um, speaking of, again, staying in the Middle East, speaking of the... Iran situation right now Israel apparently In talks with Biden was Continues to be concerned with Iran developing nuclear weapons It's been an ongoing thing as we know Donald Trump pulled out of the US Iran nuclear deal um, And ever since Iran has not been uh, Beholden to any kind of limits On their uh, Development of nuclear as they say Nuclear energy or the enrichment of uranium Which could lead to the creation of proliferation Proliferation of nuclear weapons. Um, Israel is obviously concerned about this. Meanwhile, people might not know that Iran has recently had a a new election and a conservative president and a conservative government has taken hold in Iran. There are protests going on in Iran right now because of um, adversity to and opposition to some of the policies of the conservative hardline government in iran uh... they are continuing now to double down more on an anti u s stance from what i understand nuclear deal uh... negotiations between us and them have fallen apart once again although the u s would like to re-engage it doesn't look like it's on the horizon i can't blame iran for not wanting to enter into another nuclear deal with us though Because the fact of the matter is that if we can simply change policies and back out and renege on the deal when we get a new president and if the next president is Donald Trump or DeSantis and they're just going to pull out of the deal, then what incentive does Iran have to enter into the deal? Like, it doesn't make sense. So I'm not completely surprised that they wouldn't be interested in further negotiations with us. I, I just don't get it. I mean, why would they? So, I mean, you have that. And then you also have this news story this week that Iran is looking to ship drones, drones to Russia. And that Iran is looking to ship drones and other weaponry to Russia, Russia to aid Russia in its continued assault on Ukraine. Now, the Iranian State Department has come out and vehemently denied these reports and said, no, we are not doing that. We are not looking to ship drones to Russia nonetheless the United States and the, the media is telling us to keep an eye on it and you should be keeping an eye on it because I don't trust what Iran is publicly saying at all and I don't see why they wouldn't be looking to ship weaponry to Russia it's known that Russia and Iran have worked together before Iran is involved in proxy wars just as much as the US and Russia has especially in the Middle East this was especially true with insurgencies in Iraq so I don't see why Iran would not be pursuing that type of policy. So despite their vehement denial, uh, I think it's something to watch for. And speaking of the war in Ukraine and Russia, although disappointingly, I've seen some of the Ukrainian flags come down across uh, New Jersey, and I've seen less and less news coverage of the conflict, um, less and less coverage of the conflict, um, it it nonetheless is continuing the rage on. Latest reports are Himar rockets supplied by the United States have been doing very well. Very well in stopping and thwarting the Russian offensive. In fact, these rocket attacks that Ukraine has successfully launched, per a report from Al Jazeera. Have uh, targeted and taken out at least 30 Russian military logistics centers, which have severely hindered Russia's effort in Ukraine. So, our continued supply, and I've seen some people out there saying, you know, why are we supplying Ukraine with all this weaponry? Why are we spending so much money in the Ukraine? You know, what's it doing? Why are we bothering? Well, this is why. This is why. This is helping. Helping ukraine to thwart russia's advances and it's doing a job and it's having an impact and it's something we should be watching um, now russia because it's not doing well in ukraine Some in Ukraine fear that Russia is gearing up for a second offensive in the Donbas in the eastern region. They recently attacked uh, more civilian targets, which resulted in unfortunate deaths of children and civilians. It continues to be a terrible situation over there. Russia is, you know, just without relent and without repent. Russia is pursuing war crimes and is committing heinous atrocities across the battlefields and the occupied territories of ukraine and it just keeps getting worse and worse nonetheless nonetheless ukraine continues to dig their heels and nonetheless as i've said this is the front line of the western way of life of western civilization of western society and ukraine continues to dig their heels in and continues to fight with heart and passion and it's a shame that in the united states so many ukrainian flags have come down and it's a shame that i don't see as much reporting but nonetheless the war rages on and those are the latest updates on it speaking of russia continuing on the russian thing I'm Another story that I'm beating the table about that has gotten a little bit more attention as of recent but doesn't have a ton of attention is the Brittany Griner. The Brittany Griner situation in Russia. For those who don't know, Brittany Griner was caught with... Uh, oils marijuana THC oils and products in her luggage at a Russian airport she was detained she was charged she has now pled guilty she faces up to 10 years in a Russian prison she has made it clear that she wants the United States to try to bring her home that she's looking for support in the United States that she would like to come home now my position on this has been unwavering my position on this has been that I'm going to continue I am going to continue to try to bring awareness to this situation. And I am going to continue to pound the table for her release. This is an Olympian. This is a gold medal, a several-time American gold medalist. Now, I'm I'm sick of seeing this Brittany Griner situation is really a microcosm of the petty, you know, spectator fandom that politics has become in this country, every time you see a post about Brittany Griner on the internet, you are subjected to these back and forth nonsensical arguments from one side or the other. One side has to keep saying, "Oh she didn't want to stand for the anthem, she didn't want to stand for the anthem and she has a problem with the United States flag and anthem, so screw her, let her sit over there and that's just a silly nonsensical knuckle dragging take i'm sorry because somebody exercises their first amendment rights or they have a differing opinion than you they are somehow they're they're Their recognition and their position as an American Olympian gold medal winner is somehow diminished in your eyes, that makes you pretty crappy of an American patriot. I don't agree with, you know, not standing for the anthem personally. I don't agree with, you know, disparaging the flag personally, but I sure as hell support each and every person's right to kneel when the anthem plays to disparage the flag if they so choose, to speak out against injustices perceived or real or both that they have. And the fact that somebody does that does not make them any less a gold medalist or an, an American that deserves our attention and deserves to be facilitated to come back home. I'm so sick of seeing it. And then you have the people like, well, she shouldn't have brought it into Russia. If it was your favorite athlete or your favorite American icon and it was the same crime, you wouldn't be saying that. There's something else behind those accusations that, oh, she shouldn't have brought it, you know, she should know better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, we all know she probably shouldn't have. But at the end of the day, 10 years in prison for some marijuana and it being Russia of all entities and all nations who we currently have a little bit of a problem with... Detaining her I think we should all be a bit outraged and we should all want her home period and we should all be bringing attention to it But speaking of the political microcosm of nonsense, on the other side of the debate, you have these people like Robert Reich, the guy has, that guy has blown a gasket. Like I used to watch him 10, 15 years ago and he had some sense, Robert Reich, but the guy is just all over social media with nonsense, meme logic, and little meme taglines all the time that make no sense. His latest, related to this Griner situation, and this is another, you know, thing that people have been beating the drum for, which is, it's just tone deaf. This is why people on the left consistently lose arguments. This is why they consistently lose arguments. Because they pick the wrong battles and the wrong examples and terrible analogies to try to make their points. It's a known fact that people on the progressive side of the political spectrum are for equality and pay between men and women. I'm for equal pay for equal work among men and women. But the Brittany Griner situation is the worst place to try to make that argument. So Robert Wright comes out and says, well, let me explain why she was in Russia. She was in Russia because she plays this many basketball games, and LeBron James plays this many basketball games, and she dribbles a ball, and he dribbles a ball, but he makes 40-something million dollars a year, and she makes $200,000 a year. Fix the system. Equal pay. And everybody's out there saying, if she didn't have to go to Russia for more money, if she had equal pay, then this wouldn't happen. Blah, 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 blah. This is a terrible argument. This is the worst argument you can make. You need a a, a one-on-one session on debate if this is what you're going to hang your hat on for equal pay. Why? Because A, she makes $200,000 a year, which is a pretty nice living in general. Two... It's not like there's some executive sitting there somewhere and the WNBA and the NBA generate the same revenue and the same profits and the WNBA and the NBA generate the same endorsement deals and marketing deals and the same fan interest and the same television contracts and they're just arbitrarily saying, well, women are going to get significantly less than men. That's not what's happening. The WNBA is going to pay their athletes based on the revenue that they draw, based on the income and the profits that they make. And so, of course, LeBron James and NBA players are going to make more than WNBA players, not because of some gender bias with the leagues or the owners themselves. Perhaps, perhaps, We have a societal gender bias, which I think is probably undeniable in this country. This country and this society has a gender bias in general, which causes fans and patrons of the sport to flock to the NBA rather than the WNBA but it's not some arbitrary bias reason why female athletes in the wnba are paid less than male athletes in the nba it's just because of the respective revenues and and profit margins that those two leagues have so can we all stop fighting and pontificating about irrelevant nonsense with the britney Griner case and just bring her home despite it You even had LeBron James weigh in now, and LeBron James, the guy who just was made an example of by Robert Reich, LeBron James had to weigh in and say, oh, I would think twice about even coming back to this country if I was Griner, because they don't have her back. Now, I understand LeBron's take. He's saying, hey, if they don't have your back, why would you even bother coming back? It's a fair statement. It's something to say. He's entitled to his opinion. But man, LeBron has had some bad takes, man. This guy has had some bad questionable takes. He called the police officer who saved the young woman's life by shooting her assailant a year or so ago. He said that they were coming for him and that he was next and he was a murderer or something before the whole story came out. And probably LeBron's worst take in the last several years was when he came out when somebody criticized another player wanted to raise awareness about China and China's human rights violations. And LeBron basically came out and said, hey, watch who pays your bills or something. Let's not talk about China. Meanwhile, he wants to vocalize human rights everywhere else. I mean, LeBron, man, (laughs) he's just a gaff type of guy. I don't think he's. He's entitled to say what he wants. I'm not one of those people. Like, I hate, I can't stand people who sit around and say, oh, you're a celebrity. No one wants to hear about your political opinions. You're an athlete. No one wants to hear about your political opinions. Blah, blah, blah. Then they vote for a guy like Donald Trump, who's literally a celebrity, and no one cares about his political opinions, but they do. It's silly. It's hypocritical. LeBron is entitled to say whatever he wants, whenever he wants. I'm just kindly suggesting that maybe somebody in his circle should tell him not to just spout off all the time, because he has some weird takes. He's already walked that comment back, but again, I do not even think that was a terrible take. He just has some terrible takes from time to time. Anyway, free Britney Griner. I'm sick of the debate. I'm sick of the nonsense. From a new standpoint, what's going on with that case is that um, the reason she pled guilty from what I can ascertain, and I can't say this definitively, I'm not her attorney, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, and Siren saying that. Right. It's it's more like the minor leagues. It is what it is. Like the highest paid athletes 500k. Like it's they're not going to get paid a lot because they're not generating enough interest in ticket sales and merchandise sales and every every other stream of revenue. Um, good point, Siren. Um but she's plea. I, as I understand it, Russia refuses to even try to negotiate any kind of deal or prisoner trade or anything that would get Britney Greiner back to the United States until the legal process in Russia is wrapped up. So I think the reason she pled guilty was to not drag the process out. She's going to lose probably a trial anyway, given how that system functions. Um, the quicker she can wrap up the situation the quicker it's resolved and then we actually have at least some chance of negotiating a release because she's actually been sentenced and it's actually finalized and we can look at what we might be willing to give up to get her back it's an ongoing story my thoughts my prayers are with her I hope she makes it home soon Um, Today, or I think it was today or yesterday, she had a hearing and basically put forth to the judge that, look, I know it's illegal, I'm sorry, but I packed in a rush and I do have a prescription for the medication, the the marijuana that I was using, um, that I had on my person. Hopefully that's a mitigating circumstance, as we call it in court. Hopefully it's mitigating and the judge takes it into consideration. But nonetheless, we have other... Um, tools at our disposal and hopefully we can bring her home. And by the way, if I'm rambling, if my Vibe or my pace is not what it usually is. Just know it's because I had a wild night last night. I had to get up really early to be somewhere early this morning, and so I usually have a little drink, and I'm a little, like, loose when I do the show, and I'm not tonight. So it's a different vibe from me. So just, you know, ahead of time, for those listening live and for those many more who listen to the recorded version, I apologize ahead of time. But on to the... And then Siren's pointing out that because, let's be honest, any political prisoner they would trade for, Brittany Griner's not considered a big enough asset, sad but true. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting story, and it's something that I really just hope resolves. It's not good for anybody. It's not good for the people at home. It's not good for her. It's not good for our Olympians. It's just I want to bring her home, and I I understand it was a mistake on her part, and she could have done things better to prevent it, but still... We, we she deserves our respect and she deserves our efforts to get her home. So let's hope that that happens. Um, but moving past that, let's let's get back from across the seas and let's get back to domestic things and domestic news and what's going on domestically. Um, the latest from the Senate. Well, let's talk about the House and the Senate for a minute here. So in the House. Well, let's just talk about it. There was a climate bill, and it was part of a larger, there was some economic energy and climate bill that was in negotiations in the Senate, and Chuck Schumer was once again trying to negotiate with Joe Manchin. Big surprise there, right? And big surprise again, Joe Manchin came out uh, recently in the last day or two and said, I'm not supporting this climate legislation, period. It's not going to happen. I refuse to raise taxes on certain entities. I refuse to kind of reinvest in some of the things you want to invest in right now. Not happening. Forget it. Joe Biden in the White House has now pledged because Manchin will not because Manchin will not support the legislation Biden is going to move by executive order on certain climate issues. Now here's the interesting thing about that though. The Supreme Court just recently, just recently came out with a ruling regarding the EPA because Biden had tried to, the administration had attempted to essentially mandate CO2 levels across the United States on various, you know, energy entities as like a generalized categorical um, standard. The Trump administration and their EPA had taken the position that the EPA does not have that kind of broad authority to categorically regulate things in that way. The Trump administration had taken the position that, in fact, the EPA has simple authority to regulate actual specific outputs or actual specific regulatory violations by specific factories or specific companies who generate energy, but that the EPA does not have the broad authority to categorically regulate an entire industry across several states without the backing of the legislative branch, without legislation in and of itself. The executive branch does not have the authority to regulate things in a macro sense like that, the Supreme Court just recently, in their la- latest slew of decisions, which we're all very familiar with, agreed with the prior um, the prior understanding by the Trump administration and sided with West Virginia, who was actually suing the Biden EPA over the regulation. <laughs> and said that, look, the EPA and the executive does not have the authority through the Environmental Protection Agency by way of kind of regulatory administrative uh, rule changes to categorically regulate an industry on a macro scale. They just don't have the authority. So it's interesting that the Biden administration now in the face of Joe Manchin saying what he's saying is is putting out there and asserting that they're going to take steps themselves outside the purview of the legislature when the Supreme Court just struck them down. I see something happening where Biden and his administration release some executive order or try to take some regulatory action as a symbolic gesture that gets the base behind them or gets some claps from somebody, gets a little bit of a media run, and then I expect one of the states, maybe West Virginia again or some other state like that, some attorney general or various attorneys generals, to sue the Biden administration on similar grounds as West Virginia did with the prior case, and I expect that they might win such a lawsuit. So is it, is it disappointing that Manchin won't support a, a broader climate package? Well, if you're an environmentalist and you're concerned about the climate, and I think many of us are concerned about the climate, then it's disappointing, yes. But I also will say that you know by, uh, Manchin's explanation was that we're dealing with a recession families are most concerned with, not a recession, I'm sorry, inflation. Perhaps a recession on the horizon. Not a a recession, no. Inflation. But I wouldn't say unprecedented inflation, but unprecedented in recent memory inflation. And his point is, well, look, You know, we need to be discussing other things that are, you know, most important and most pressing now. And the fact that the two political parties, the Democratic Progressive Wing, is still doubling down on priorities that they had two years ago regarding the climate is not where I want to put my chips right now. It's not where I want to look. Now, many will say that Manchin, who's heavily invested in the coal industry, who comes from a, a coal processing state, is just paying lip service to climate change, and he has no intention of ever participating in any kind of climate change of any substantial value because of his connections to the coal industry and to dirty energy that opinion's valid and and I don't know no no one knows what's in his heart and his mind I I, I don't know what I will say is that the vilification of Manchin that, that, that was predominant about a year or so ago when he killed the Build Back Better bill And I called it the Bernie bill, which was like the $3 billion or $3 trillion, whatever it was, bill that Bernie had proposed. Everybody vilified Manchin, but can you imagine if the federal government had pumped that much more liquid cash into the economy a year ago, how much worse inflation would be now? I mean thank god and i was beating that drum back when that build back better bill was pending that the expenditures and the huge pumping of liquidity into the economy and more excessive money printing at that stage when we already had warning signs that inflation could be a problem i was beating the drum back then that we shouldn't pass such a bill at such a time and thank god for mansion and cinema no one ever talks about cinema but she's the other important piece to this thank god they killed that bill because inflation would have been that much worse and harder to rein in than it already is so i'm not applauding him for for being you know an obstructionist if that's your choice of words on climate But I wouldn't rush to judgment either before we kind of delve more into what was actually being done and what was in that bill. Another important uh, thing they were trying to work out, though, was the subsidies, the continued subsidies for the ACA, better known as Obamacare. Because if the subsidies were to run dry, then premiums would tick up basically overnight. That would be a disaster for Democrats in the midterms, and it would be a disaster for many families. So I think they may, may still find some some light at the end of the tunnel on the ACA subsidies. They just won't link it to any bigger economic and climate package. This idea that you can keep putting these, you know, joint compound bills together that tackle multiple progressive agendas at once, I don't think is getting any traction with Cinema and Mansion. Like, they're just not letting it fly. And so I don't think you can do that. I think you've got to parse it out and get through things that you can get through. And quite frankly, with the current state of our country and the current state of our economy, I think that's the right thing to do. I don't think we need to be doing way too much right now, unless you're talking about reigning in inflation or improving you know, on the energy crisis that we currently have, although gas prices, thankfully, are finally ticking down a bit. You know i just wouldn't i i don't think we should be doing all the anything crazy let's just relax but speaking of mansion and speaking of the senate let's talk about another bill that's was passed by the house that is sure to fail in the senate and that is um a legislative Codification of Roe v. Wade, essentially ensuring that abortion is a is a right across all fifty states and U.S. territories, and solidifying the right a woman's right to choose. That the, the House passed a bill that would solidify women's rights to choose, but it is expected to certainly die in the Senate. And the reason it's going to die in the Senate is because Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are not going. To vote, they want them to vote for a one-time end to the filibuster, just to pass legislation which uh, cements Roe v. Wade, women's rights to choose. And everybody's angry that they won't do it. But but here's the thing, and and I, and I here's what I'm worried about with progressives continuously advocating to end the filibuster. My perspective on it, from a strategic perspective, if I was on the left side of things if i was going to end the filibuster for any legislation whatsoever the first and really the initially only thing i would end the filibuster to do would be to outlaw gerrymandering and to solidify voting rights because if you kill the filibuster to broaden access to voting and to eliminate political, racial, and other forms of gerrymandering from a legislative perspective because the Supreme Court has not, will not, and has shown no willingness to tackle those issues other than to peel back protections that are centuries old. What, What else is new with this current iteration of the Supreme Court? But if you were to actually expand access to voting and you were actually able to eliminate voting rights violations and tackle gerrymandering then perhaps you would have a more equitable election going forward and you wouldn't have to worry about these crazy pendulum swings and that might make sense and why would it make sense as opposed to ending the filibuster for abortion Well, let me tell you a story when Obama was trying to get federal judges through republicans were being obstructionist that's what they planned to do that was their plan from the beginning that was McConnell he's a he's a an ice-cold, you know, nihilistic gamesman when it comes to politics. That's how he got this Supreme Court in, and it's really a shame what he does and how he treats things. But his plan was to just kill everything and anything Obama wanted to do. And he was succeeding in obstructing a good number of Obama's federal court nominees. So what did the Democrats do? Democrats at that time eliminated the filibuster just for federal judges so there was no no more filibuster available for federal judge nominations well then what happened Well, as soon as the Republicans got into power and when Trump got into power, he nominated a record number of federal judges because there was no filibuster stopping him from doing it. They pushed through an unprecedented number of federal judges, many of whom were underqualified, many of whom are standard bearers for the Federalist Society and for Republican conservative policies, many of whom are now the feeder judges and the feeder courts to the Supreme court, people like Amy Coney Barrett, for instance and who are having a marked impact across the country on all levels of policy and legalities and controversies. And so what I worry about is, so what? If the Democrats kill the filibuster just to codify Roe v. Wade, just to make abortion legal all the time in all 50 states and all U.S. territories, well, guess what? As soon as the Republicans then take hold of the Senate and take hold of the House and the presidency, all they're going to do is just go the opposite way. Now they're going to make abortion illegal across all 50 states. Now whether that is legal, given the actual text of the opinion that Alito wrote, that remains to be seen and I would wonder, I would wonder what Kavanaugh would do if there was a federal ban. And that was challenged by a state, say, like New Jersey, and went to the Supreme Court. Would Kavanaugh go along with it? Or would he, as it seemed to indicate he might be willing to do, would he go the other way? And would he... that the federal government does not have the authority to ban abortion in all 50 states. I don't know. Given the text, it can go either way. They kind of said it's a legislative question, so if the federal government's a branch of the legislature too, could they do that? Is that the will of the people? Or is leaving it up to the states the the, the better practice? I don't know. But I wouldn't kill the filibuster for abortion rights because as soon as Republicans get in office, then they're going to kill everybody's abortion rights. So I don't blame Manchin and Cinema not for not wanting to kill the filibuster for that. I really don't. Because it's just suicide. Because then as soon as they get into office, it's gonna be the worst, it's gonna be the opposite. And let's not get into that. That's why the filibuster exists. So that we don't have these insane pendulum swings every four years and we can't count on what the law is. Now, tell, somebody tell SCOTUS that, somebody tell the Supreme Court that. But, you know, here we find ourselves. And I don't think doubling down on killing the filibuster is going to help anybody. For those reasons. For those reasons. Now, speaking of abortion, and I only have a few more things to talk about here before we get our guest on. But speaking of abortion and that hot-button issue, in Indianapolis, has anybody been following this story? In Indianapolis, a Dr. Uh, name is Caitlin Bernard, Dr. Caitlin Bernard. I believe she's affiliated with Indiana University. She's a prominent doctor in Indiana. She gave, she gave a 10-year-old rape victim. There was a 10-year-old girl, a 10-year-old girl who was raped raped more than once in Ohio. And Ohio had one of those trigger statutes where as soon as the Supreme Court overruled Roe v. Wade, Ohio outlawed abortion. She was raped in Ohio, and she went to Indianapolis, and an abortion was performed on her because a 10-year-old girl was impregnated as the result of rape. Now, as soon as this doctor did this, there are certain reporting requirements in Indiana, that you have to follow. So the doctor had to disclose to the health department that she was performing the abortion, disclose the situation, et cetera, et cetera. Then she went, I, I don't know where she reported it, but the doctor apparently told the story of how she had to perform the abortion on the 10 year old rape victim. The attorney general of the state of Indiana then opened an investigation into the doctor saying that she might have violated HIPAA and privacy laws by disclosing the information about the girl, really seeming like it was just a retaliatory move a retaliatory move against the doctor for performing the abortion. And Will points out that it was the mother's boyfriend who was the rapist. I mean, that's a sad state of affairs and unfortunately it happens way too much. Way too much that these boyfriends are victimizing these women's children and sometimes the women don't even defend them. It's disgusting and it it happens way too much. Way too much. But it's so... Again, this abortion debate. I will never understand the obsession with the abortions. I'll never understand the anti-abortion movement, the anti-choice movement. I don't understand it. I recently read a correspondence from somebody who's a listener to this show, who lives in the Deep South, who I'm going to have as a guest on the show. We're gonna broach this subject much deeper. But he says that all these prominent people around his neighborhood, all these prominent people that he knows who are otherwise great people, who otherwise do great things, they keep bringing up they keep bringing up this idea and this, this initiative, this mission, that apparently there are Christians being persecuted relentlessly all over the globe and that their main mission what they want to do as far as like being altruistic or doing a, a public good for society they don't say they want to volunteer to bring water to communities that don't have water they don't say they want to build power lines and electricity to communities that don't have that they don't say they want to you know save refugees they say that they want to do something about the persecution of Christians. There's some weird fundamentalist undercurrent in this country going on with this misguided belief that Christianity is, is, current, is so under siege all the time, relentlessly under siege and must be defended at all costs, and that allowing women to choose with their doctors and their families the best way forward how to deal with a pregnancy is somehow an affront and an assault on Christianity. It's warped stuff. And what was going on in Indiana with the Attorney General basically going after this doctor who provided a, an admirable, to say the least, service on a 10-year-old girl who was traumatized enough? Imagine a 10-year-old girl having to bring a pregnancy to term from her rapist? And then having to see that human that was born of the rape walk the earth for the rest of her life, most likely? Imagine that trauma. This woman saved her from the anguish. And this ag was looking into whether she violated some laws just as a retaliatory action what twisted reality are we living in and what twisted society do we live in where people who do that and who hang their hat on that cause pat themselves on the back as if they are some kind of god-fearing amazing do-gooders when they are really operating on any objective level as an axis of evil I will never understand that movement. I do not understand that movement. I hate that they're celebrating this court decision. I can't wait to hopefully in my lifetime see them defeated once again, once and for all, so we can join the rest of the first world in allowing women their right to choose. And of course, we want limits on it. We don't want it to be the full nine months. Of course, we want limits on when you can have an abortion. But this idea that you can have an all-out ban is absurd. It's absurd. And I just thought that was an interesting story and something to pay attention to, especially given the current climate we're in. But it's crazy that these types of issues are what's on people's minds. These are the issues people are fighting over. A doctor saves a 10-year-old girl from an unwanted pregnancy by a rapist grown man and we are worried about whether she violated some kind of privacy thing or or whatever, trying to basically, Fox and other conservative outlets were basically trying to vilify this woman, this doctor, without even having all the facts in the first place, saying she didn't report it as she was supposed to and whatnot, it came out today, she followed the proper protocol, she did report it, she did do what she was supposed to do, she's not in violation of the law, it's nonsense that we even got here. But you know what else is nonsense that we even got somewhere? This Trump nonsense, January 6th. Have you seen the hearings? Have you seen the hearings on January 6th? Who has seen these hearings? I have been, I'm telling you, I've been working all day, then coming home from work, I kid you not, pulling up, pulling up, and if secular pro-lifers exist, And I think they're few and far between. And I know a lot of people go out here and say, oh, it's not really a religious debate. I I don't subscribe to that. I'm sure there are some secular pro-lifers. But by and large, by and large, the debate is coming from this evangelical right. Like, yes, there may be some secular groups or some secular pro-lifers, but I think by and large, secular folks are for choice. And it's a lot of these very fundamentalist Christian groups that are anti-abortion. So I know there's caveats, like everything. There's nuance, there's caveats, there's complexities. I just don't know that uh, trying to evade the religious elephant in the room as I've seen happen a couple times now, is really attacking or discussing the issue in its reality, you know. And, and I don't know what you mean about erasing people because the loudest are religious is not considered. I don't think it's the loudest. I think it's the majority of the movement. There's a difference. So, you know, the loudest, no, I think it's the majority of the movement. I think the rank and file quieter and the loudest, just the majority of the movement, are religious people. I do not think that it's just the loudest, but there's all these secular people. I, I don't I don't buy it. Show me something that proves it. And don't give me an anecdotal thing that this one group or this one guy is secular give me some statistic that the majority or even half or even any considerable contingent of the anti-choice movement is secular and and i'll i'll talk to you about it but until then i'm pretty confident that it's mostly religious we can disagree but see disagreement is fine disagreement is fine but but That's an opinion to disagree. There's a fact, there's either mostly religious people in in the movement or mostly not. That's a fact. So show me that I'm wrong, that it's not mostly religious. Show me that, show me. But now you get to January 6th. Speaking of facts and showing people things, I kid you not, this week, this week, I came home, I came home and, yeah, anti-choice. So I don't like the messaging, the messaging of, like, oh, we're pro-life. No, you're anti-choice. Like, I'm not going to play that messaging game. Zed, are you anti-choice? Are you anti-choice, Zed? Why don't you tell us? Are you anti-choice? We're, for those in the recorded version, there's a, somebody in the chat who's I'm going back and forth with here. So, uh, you know, I don't know. They're, they're, they seem to be more... Um, they seem to be, like like some people are. They they, they may be... Zed, uh, uh, tell me, are you anti-choice and are you Christian? That's what I want to know. Those are the two questions I have for you. Um, but moving on, while we wait for the response, I've been coming home. Come, You are against abortion. Anti-choice, against abortion. Against not just you personally against it you are against women being allowed to have an abortion that's anti-choice because you're not allowing them to have a choice that's that's what i'm asking you that's what i'm asking you. so um anyway i've been coming home and just putting on the January 6 hearings that had been going on all afternoon, just putting them on in their entirety with no spin, no analysis, none of the you know talking heads or the news anchors, none of those people. I have just been watching it from start to finish, just the testimony, the hearings themselves. And wow, the Hutchinson testimony, the Cepeloni testimony, and then you had the former Oath Keeper spokesperson Uh, Jason Von Tottenhove, he gave a powerful testimony. He had some powerful choice words. I mean, if you're watching these January 6 hearings, there is the executive privilege, which is unfortunately preventing us from hearing what Trump actually said out of his own mouth. But this committee and these witnesses have done such a good job, such a good job of connecting Connecting the dots all the way up to the point where you almost know what Trump said without even hearing it. For instance, with Cepuloni, he's saying he was going to a meeting because he was dead set against this uprising. He was dead set against continuing to say that the election was rigged. He was dead set against sending people marching upon the Capitol in the name of that false allegation. Basically, it was reported and testified to by somebody else that Cepaloni was told that you know to leave the room. He's not allowed in the meeting. Cepaloni said that he did make it to the overall office and that he did not ultimately wind up attending the meeting. And they asked, well, did Trump say anything to you? And that's why you didn't go to the meeting? And he said, well, that's executive privilege. I can't answer. And his lawyer's like, You can't answer. And then they said, did you choose on your own not to attend that meeting? And he's like, that's executive privilege. Basically, anybody could tell from listening to that testimony, it's no longer a mystery. It's no longer a mystery that obviously Cephaloni walked up to the meeting and wanted to talk some sense into everybody, and Trump said, why else would it be executive privilege? Trump said it. He said, get the hell out of here, Cephaloni. You're not allowed in here. Get lost. you, You can connect the dots without actually having them connected. You know what I'm saying? The circumstantial evidence is heavy. And now we're starting to see, and you know what's interesting about January 6th, which is, I find so fascinating, it's that, A, I don't think anything's going to necessarily come of it, you know, as far as practical results regarding Trump, because people are so entrenched in their nonsense and refuse to act on it, just like the impeachment trial, senators just refused to vote to convict, for political reasons rather than doing what they actually believe because then they came out and railed against the actions of Trump. But I'm watching it just for the pure like humor, and I don't mean that as a comedy thing like haha, I just mean it as like, you know, humor me, like the entertainment value of watching human, human beings function, meaning they are proving Block by block, undeniably proving that Trump had a scheme in place from early on, from even before, from even before. I asked you a question. It's a very easy question. Are you anti-abortion or not, Zed? It's not a. It's not a loaded question. I'm not limiting it. Are you or are you not? And are you a Christian? That's what I want to know. Because you're putting forth these arguments. But if if you fall into those two categories, I think it gives people an idea about why you're making these accusations or these putting forth these assertions and I, you still haven't shown me that shown me in any in any way that there, a, a significant proportion a significant contingent of the anti-choice or as you might call it the pro-life lobby is non-religious you still haven't shown me anything that shows that the majority or a significant proportion of the anti-abortion movement is secular you just said it but you have not had any basis upon which to rest that assertion. So give me the fact, give me the statistic. But you watch January 6th, and kind of like Zed here is doing with abortion, people will just say, oh, yo, it's just a a farce, it's a leftist thing, without actually proving why. And when you actually look at the facts that the committee is putting together, and the fact is I'm looking at human nature. I'm looking at human nature. And it's funny to see that in the Trump cabinet, in the Trump cabinet, and in these hearings almost every witness, almost every single witness... So you won't answer the question, because we all know the answer, that's why. So. Every witness is a Republican or a former Trump staffer or a former right winger, or even we now have former people who actually marched on the Capitol and were actually pleading guilty to crimes associated with the march on the Capitol. And they are all coming out and basically just being real. From Bill Barr to Cipollone to Hutchinson, they are just Republicans. They were they were in Trump's team. They were down with the dude. And I find it fascinating. It's just smart people with legal, sound minds who want to operate within the realm of what we expect to operate within. Operate within the realm of the social contract. And they are just coming out pretty much saying, look, whether I support Trump or not, look, this is crazy. He was going to try to overthrow the election. It was wrong. It was illegal. There was no proof that the election was rigged. He had a plan from the beginning. And if, you just, if you've been paying attention, they have recordings now leaked from before the election that this plan was in place. That Trump always planned to say he won the election the night of the election, whether he did or not, so that he could proceed with this basic coup attempt. You see, it's Republicans just waking up, and I see the same on the left, when people on the left wake up, and they just start calling out nonsense, blatant partisan fantasy nonsense, just because they actually want to be objective, normal people, despite what their partisan leanings are. And you're seeing this house of cards that Trump has had surround him, kind of crumble piece by piece, as these Republican people come out and just be normal. And just say, look, it was, in Barr's words, it was bullshit, it was stupid, this is what they were doing. And I was like, you guys are nuts. You basically see that Trump started bringing in more and more radical people like Powell and and Flynn into his office and into his inner circle because the people around him were not being yes men. The people around him had enough sense to say, Mr. President, let's not do this. This is bullshit. This isn't really proper. This doesn't make any sense. This is not going to work. And by the way, you may be susceptible to criminal charges for this stuff. This is borderline treason. It is treason. Stop it and they're all coming out and saying it, and it's being proven to you piece by piece as you watch these hearings. And it's amazing to look at human nature while these Republicans, one after the other, testify against Trump. And these Republicans in Liz Cheney lead these hearings. And people are still saying it's a leftist hoax. It's all bullshit. That's fascinating popcorn stuff, too. Watching human nature on the opposite side. Watch somebody prove something brick by brick, piece by piece, detail by detail, undeniably, objectively, and then watch people pretend that they're not seeing what we all see. This odd, crazy form of partisan gaslighting has become an integral part of our, you know, social dialogue and our societal fabric. It's insane. It's insane, but it's been fascinating to watch. It's been great to watch, and I'm continuing to watch. Now, the latest twist is that Trump apparently tried to contact one of the witnesses, and they've referred that information to the Justice Department. Steve Bannon, who, by the way, has his contempt trial commencing next week, I think, for not refusing to comply with the subpoena from the committee now says he wants to testify but he'd rather testify in public if you know anything about steve bannon you know that steve bannon is a spin artist and a propagandist and i hope that the committee i mean who knows maybe they'll put him on in public and just undress him in public figuratively of course for all of our sake i mean geez but um bannon i think wants to get up there and i think he wants to just blatantly spin lies and try to defend trump i think it's a two-way street i think one of the reasons he's doing it is because he wants to avoid jail for the contempt trial And I think another reason he's doing it is because he sees how bad it's looking for Trump and how good the case is against Trump, that he wants to throw some kind of, you know, fly in the ointment. He wants to throw some kind of water on on the flames. He wants to try to help best he can spin it the other way for Trump, because every piece of evidence that they're coming out with, everything that we're seeing is building the wall, undeniably, what most of us already knew, but now you see it from the inner circle themselves, from the Republican people, around Trump themselves that this was a planned attempt to try to thwart the results of a free election and that is insane in this country and that is how you lose democracy and that is how we let things go unchecked and we don't care and we act like it's normal and we normalize the unnormal and we get into positions and points, places and points where these things are normalized and where people start to get away with stealing democracy. And if anybody's watching these hearings and saying that they're not seeing this proof, or for those who refuse to watch the hearings at all, they are contributing to this erosion of democracy. And I find it disgusting, but I find it generally and genuinely very entertaining. Very entertaining in general. It is very entertaining. So I've been watching it. I've been watching it a lot. I hope all of you have been watching it. We will keep up on logic and Larry with all the updates on it. It's been fascinating. I think it's getting more and more undeniable. And even if you like Trump at the inception or you thought he did some good things, I mean, he did do some good things. The vaccine rollout like now Biden's embracing his Israel policy in terms of his relationships with certain Arab countries. I mean, He's done some things. I mean, it's not like, but you have to admit whether you like them or not. It doesn't have to be the end of your state of being or the end of your personal identity if you just admit, if you just admit that it looks like he tried to stage a coup and basically tried to thwart a free election. I mean, you could just admit it now. If you want to be a legit American and a patriot, just admit what we're all seeing. You don't have to deny it. You don't. Anyway. That's my spiel on January six. Rick is late because Rick, are you on Western time? Is that what happened? Did you think it's eight now, but it was eight? Like, damn it, Rick. <laughs> it's fine though. It's fine. But I, here's what I'm gonna do, guys, because now I ranted and I raved long enough, and I got into the little back and forth with Zed. And Zed, I appreciate your uh, engagement on the podcast. I want to bring in um, Alex Darlington, and let me tell you a little bit about him before I br- bring him on. Alex. Um, Found we found each other on online, and he reached out and he wanted to collaborate. He um, he is starting a, a party, and I'll let him kind of explain it. He's starting a political party out in Pennsylvania, neighboring Pennsylvania. Um, he's a young person, and, and I found it interesting that such a young person um, would have these balanced, kind of more moderate, you know, objective views these days because so many people are so partisan, especially further to the left side of things. But he is a very, you know, thoughtful, uh, intellectual, objective individual that I've enjoyed talking to here and there. And so I wanted to bring him on to explain a bit about, you know, what brought him to more centrism or you know moderation and and ask him a little bit about his party and his dealings and i'm gonna lead kind of an interview with him um but i hope you all enjoy it and i hope after the interview i will be posting um links and materials about his stair party and about the things he's trying to build um and you guys can all check it out so that should be interesting and I'm, i'm gonna without kind of further ado i'm gonna bring him on here so we should be unmuted now. Hello? Hey, Alex, how are you, brother? Oh, you know, you just
1: know, living just the living dream. dream. Living the dream.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so listen, what's going on, man? I mean, how are you feeling on this Friday night?
1: Uh, we, just uh, we just had, had a barbecue, barbecue outside. outside. Uh, nice. In the beautiful uh, Palmerton, uh, Palmerton sunset. sunset. <laughs> beautiful. So it's been good. Beautiful. Hold on, I'm, I'm hearing myself. Hold so on, I don't know, know how, how, how I can fix, fix that. that.
0: You sound right great from my end.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I know. I can can hear hear myself, so so now now it's it's, (laughs) I'm slowing slowing down down my my own talk talk because because I can can hear hear myself. myself. Yeah.
0: I don't know. Um, know. That that's tough because I don't know why you. I guess because you have to listen to me, so you're hearing yourself, which is not good.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, I guess guess I'll I'll just just deal deal with it.
0: it. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we all gotta move and shake and do what we gotta do, you know. Um.
1: Echo. echo.
0: Yeah, okay. they're saying they're saying echo in there, which Is this,
1: been, this been a problem, a problem before? before?
0: No, but I've then again most people come on on the Skype, so mm-hmm. um, Skype. Yeah. So, but it's okay. I mean, if, if, if I'm hearing a little bit of an echo, it's not that bad. So, I think we'll be all right. What I think is happening actually is it might be on my end.
1: Hmm. Uh, I don't really have okay. Skype. I deleted it. Okay. <laughs> few years ago I can call in by phone number maybe that'll help
0: I think that I think that's fine though because um uh, let, let's ask people now it's they're saying it's fine it's not a big deal so I think we're good Al I think we'll just roll with this cuz you sound crisp on your microphone too so I think me lowering my volume a little bit on my computer kind of uh, helped solve the problem All right. Um So, and actually, I actually have another idea of how to solve the problem too, but I don't know if I have, I think we're good. Let's just roll like this. So let me begin by, you know, tell the people a little bit about yourself and and then I'll start asking you some questions about kind of how you arrived at your political philosophy. Just a brief little bio, if you will.
1: Yeah, that sounds good. I've been listening into the podcast. Am I able to comment on something that I I heard? Yeah, sure. So... So here's one of the things. So this is kind of a uh, reason, kind of a symptom of I'm going to go into abortion for a bit. Hold up. So uh, one of the symptoms of Roe v. Wade overturning and the nation being hyper partisan as it's as it was already. Is that um, people have divided the pro choice and pro life movement into two separate sects that is either like people think you're either full third trimester right. abortion or you don't support abortions whatsoever. Right. Um, and just to give you some like statistics, uh, mm-hmm. cause I, I have some here, um, you know, about, I would say half of Americans are pro-life or around that it's, it, it's slowly dwindled over the years, but I w- there's still a good minority, significant minority of Americans, I would say about 4 you know, to be safe 40% that are pro-life. Right. However, there is 80 uh, this is from uh, Associated Press and NORC polls mm-hmm. found that 87% of uh, people uh, support abortion when the woman's life is in danger and 84% support exceptions in the case of rape or incest. Right. So One of the things I think about when it comes to this abortion debate is, you know, I consider myself uh, Mm pro-choice and uh, um, I only to me, I'm pro-choice, but I only support abortions uh, in the first trimester because it's been there's studies found that uh, fetuses gain consciousness after, after the second trimester. People can disagree with me on that. Completely understandable. But I guess it's just become so hyper partisan that I feel like people have divided the debate into two separate sects. That's either you're completely just no no abortions whatsoever or third trimester abortions. And I, uh, when I was hearing the conversation, I kind of thought about that um But again, Zed hasn't, like, added what his specific things are. And I guess that's hard to do in a YouTube chat since you only have 200 characters. (laughs) Right. And the abortion debate is you could go for hours about that. Right. Uh, So that was something I wanted to comment on. But I think,
0: dude, would you say, though, that, like, I mean, there are certainly accusations coming from the pro-life movement that, you know, most of the pro-choice movement is fine with, you know, nine-months abortions when that's obviously not the case and then from your statistics even most pro-life people 84 percent are well 85 84 percent of the whole population probably more than half of the pro-lifers are for abortion when it involves the health of the mother or rape or incest do you think though that the laws in these states that don't some of them do provide for exceptions but a lot of them don't that that has something to do with people viewing pro-lifers as just being dead set against abortion when these are the types of laws they're pushing through.
1: Well, here's the thing about... <laughs> this is why this is a thing in the first place. Uh, there's a there's a disparity between the Congress, state Congress, federal Congress, whatever, and the actual views of the American people. We've already seen that yes. with uh, how our government rules. And that is, you were talking about gerrymandering earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, gerrymandering allows for more extreme individuals to get into state congress whatever because they change the borders of the voting districts so that they're less purple and they're more skewed towards your side yes. so let's say you have a you have two districts that are both purple 50% democrat 50% republican what would result is that as a moderate candidate trying to appeal to the center left and the center right redraw the borders, you have 100% Democrat and 100% Republican districts, so the, your only choice is either the extreme, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. Evangelian, uh you know, neo-Confederate, or you got the, the communists. Yes. So
0: No, I know. We beat that drum all day on this thing. Like, you, you are safe. You are... Making safe districts so that these congressional representatives have no incentive to compromise at all. They have every incentive to double down on extremism because the districts themselves are extreme. Right. It's crazy. Right. So let me ask you, though. So back to your bio. So you told me you're currently a student. Just give them a little bio because then I want to get into these political issues about kind of asking you about how you've arrived at your philosophies and then talk about what you're doing about them.
1: Right. Well, my name is Alex Darlington. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm 19 and currently I live in, I'm a Pennsylvania resident. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm up in Palmerton right now, so I'm I'm currently experiencing the beauty of Pennsylvania (laughs) and uh, the Appalachian Mountains and the Ridge and Valley. It's so great. Uh, Currently, I'm a student at Kutztown University um, and I'm a moderate, go figure. (laughs) Uh, and I have, uh, the, one of the biggest projects I got going on is, uh, the Stair Party, uh, which was founded in February, 2021.
0: Awesome. So now we'll get into the Stair Party in two, and even some of the platform, but what brought you to what you would call like being a moderate or, or more centrist? What, what kind of go through your intellectual reflection and kind of what, what brought you to that? You know disposition, because we're there, I'm there, most of my listeners are. Some are on either side, but you know, um, what brought you to that political philosophy? And then we'll then answer that question in the chat if you see it.
1: Right, and uh, <laughs> sta- oh, let me. I'll answer this. Cause the stair party. Uh, there's a lot... <laughs> um, the f- the reason I picked the stair party is because the motto of the stair party is the next step for America. So. Mm making yeah, steps towards progress, progress whatever you want to use i think it's a, a you can make a lot of stare puns in politics uh, right. and it allows and it makes people ask i every time i heard um... i heard people ask ask about the stair party uh... they always have a confused look on their face of why did you name it the stair party right uh... so it's a it's a marketing thing as well
0: i like it so now what what brought you to your current political philosophy have you always been like this did you any events in the world while you were growing up that brought you here what 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 goes into that what what made you how you are
1: right uh so my family generally has always been um i guess anti-establishment in one form or another okay uh, my stepdad he's a he's a third party voter mm-hmm. uh, my mom is anti-establishment, anti-establishment as well Well um, I started getting into politics when I started reading the news around, I don't know, 6th, 7th grade. Right. Uh, 2016, I started to really get going. Um, and I started read, reading more into politics. Uh, and then it would be, I would say, this is, I always joke about this with uh, my friends. And I think I joked about it with you before, mm-hmm. um, which is this joke political philosophy I call defaultism, where <laughs> you become so uh, you become so extreme that you just default to becoming a moderate, um, and the right. reason I, I say that is because when I was on my own political identity journey, 14, 15 years old, um, I guess I'm still doing it, but it was most, I guess, like going everywhere at 14, 15. Uh, I went from being a conservative, uh, uh, and to a—I—I—I shit you not a anarcho communist. Okay. Uh,
0: Interesting.
1: Yeah. And then I went to being a liberal socialist, uh, Mm -hmm. liberal socialist, not in like the social term, but as in liberal socialist, as in you, a combination of command economy and market economy. Right. And then that's when I defaulted to moderate. I was like, once I, because I heard, first of all, I was put off by the hatred mm-hmm. uh, that I heard of just like people screaming at each other yes. uh, about, oh my God, you are you are the you are literally Satan for supporting this person or this person. I mean, un- unless the person is literally the chairman of the National Socialist Party. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yes, right.
0: Uh, Yes. Rick knows about this. He deals with this all the time. My listener, Rick, he's always being called pretty much the pure evil just for not being a pure socialist, uh, you know, on social issues all the time. It's crazy what's going on.
1: Right. So um, and then also I I just kind of I I saw the. Ex- the things like the policies of not only conservatism, but also libertarianism, uh, and the points of, you know, the of progressive and leftist ideals. And that's kind of what made me a moderate, you know, just kind of looking at both sides, I guess. Uh, right. But yeah,
0: that's so that's really interesting. So then did the 20, you said 2016 kind of got you really looking, um, into that now, um, so Rick, Rick's your dad? What the hell's going on, man? Nice to meet you on the show, Crimson Joker. That's a cool name, by the way. Um, but so, Al, so you did the election in 2016 have anything to do with that?
1: Yes. Uh, can okay. I answer Crimson's question yeah. real quick? Yeah. So he said, making a third party would only divide people more. I don't understand. So here's the thing. Dividing people more in, in the in the circumstance of like actually making people more partisan, I wouldn't say so. Uh, I, I assume you mean by splitting the vote, I guess, because um, at the end of the day, hyper partisanship in, 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 in my personal theory, hyperpartisanship has been supported by the two party system duopoly. Because at the end of the day, if you look at statistics, most people don't like the Republican or Democratic parties. They think they're corrupt institutions. They don't have any trust in them. They don't have the approval rating of Congress is 14 percent. Right. They don't like those systems of those political systems. and. People see them as an oligarchy. I see them as an oligarchy. You know, right. who are they answering to? They're not answering to us. They're answering to that corp <laughs> corporate interest. They're going to the that same oil company, and they're like, "Hey, you know, I kind of need some money for my campaign."
0: Right. So. Right.
1: So I get know, what as you're as saying.
0: A- you, you and and Siren kind of co-signed it, and I and I, I I kind of I agree with you. Like I think a third party would give. And in my opinion, especially if it's more moderate party, because we've seen third parties come and go for specific issues, many times they're even further on the right or further on the left with some nuance. But I think a moderate third party, I think a lot of people would, would find solace in that and find common ground there. I think it could, in theory at least, I think it could bring people together and kind of build a different coalition. I, I think people are... Even hesitant to identify themselves, except for the very devout, are hesitant to even identify themselves by party and they just have to reluctantly because there's only two umbrellas. And they say, I guess I'm on this side because I can't stand that side more. Whereas I think a lot of people want common ground and like there's common sense issues that I think everybody, not everybody, common sense issues that I think a lot of people have common ground. Even your abortion points about like the, the, The statistics you brought into the conversation, that in and of itself shows where there are grounds for compromise, (laughs) even on that issue. And because of this screaming match that people are incentivized to have because it gets them reelected in their hyperpartisan districts, we don't have the opportunity to even discuss the common grounds and work out common ground legislation or solutions to problems. So I think a third party could definitely help. I mean, I see exactly where you're coming from.
1: And if you want to, uh, an example, we already have proof of concept in the stair party. Um, we got <laughs> we got uh, you know conservative Catholics uh, in uh, in our party, and we got ourselves atheist liberals in our party. So uh, this proof of concept of listening first to understand and finding common ground on issues and understanding the real enemy is the duopoly that at the end of the day, uh, no matter uh, to me, oppresses us all in one form or another. And is, uh, looking towards an autocratic regime and putting us on the brink of civil war mm-hmm. is the real issue at hand.
0: And now I want to ask you, I want to expound upon that. Like, a, a like you just kind of touched on something that you're doing with the stair party and how you have a coalition that you're building, you know, me from my moderation or my, and I used to be much more liberal. And then I came back. It's not, my stuff is not relevant. Everybody knows it, but, um, I kind of go on, you know, in my social dealings and on this podcast and in some of my writings and some of my just general outreach to the public, I kind of express moderate or objective values and I try to just proliferate news in an objective way that gives people, you know, a way to look at it. Tell me about how you have, you know, through the stare party from the from the ground up, like how you have gone about your you know, journey in terms of trying to, you know, bring people into your your way of thinking, bring people into more moderate, you know, inclinations and more objective ways of looking at politics through the Stair Party. How have you gone about this, and how do you continue to go about this? Like, how did you wind up with those people? What is going on with the Stair Party? How did it start? How is it growing? Tell me about that.
1: Uh, well, that just goes into um, that goes into actually. Uh, Sterism, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. which is our self-proclaimed ideology of how we function here. Um, and the way we've been able to build this coalition is that we understand that each state and even each county and each individual local government has different issues that need to be solved in one form or another. Right. Right. Um, <laughs> the the opinions of someone from vermont is not going to match the opinions from someone from mississippi right. um there's going to be different local cultures and geography that defines those regions and there's not some like you know overarching thing that you can place upon these regions i mean there's some basic things like this infrastructure reform uh and health care uh that you can but for things like uh the biggest thing would be social issues. There are just differing ways of life. Um, and what we have decided in the stair party and how we function is each different like chapter has its mm-hmm. own platform to deal with those, with the issues of that area. So for example, right. so the, the stair party as a national entity, the national stair party, make sure it's a guarantee equality and and prevent discrimination uh, across the country, Mm -hmm. as well as has its own policy platforms that are uh, nationwide issues. Uh, For example, we have a foreign policy platform and some basic economic platforms such as reviving the Rust Belt, which is a nation that would would be a nationwide initiative. But when it comes to, uh, let's say, the stair party of Pennsylvania, It's going to have its own issues that are specifically tackling that area. Uh, Local economic issues, uh, social issues. um, And it's going to be different from the Stair Party of Louisiana. Uh, And that keeps going down. You know, a county might have an issue that the state party can't address. And that local initiative has its own platform for that. Um, So it's way more decentralized than the current party bureaucracies that you see function, especially the Republican Democrats, which are incredibly centralized and are borderline autocratic. Um, And it kind of, it focuses on this idea that um, ideology does not overcome people. Uh, People are what make this country. Uh, And one, and ideology can't, it, it, it it cannot it's a, it's a it's a group of ideas, ideas? but it, it's like, not like, it's not like it's it's a crusade, of uh, this ideological uh, neo-puritan movement that you see even across third parties as well. We don't do that here. Um, and Robin, I would Robin, yeah go, and, ahead. And go ahead. Just to stop
0: because I I think something that I constantly harp on here, and I'm I'm hearing a bit of it I think between the lines of what you're saying is that there's this pragmatism, this pragmatic tackle of actual issues and finding solutions to problems. Like when you discuss local issues, it's like there's a guiding principle, it seems that, you know, we have certain standards that are, you know, we're not going to move, but on on the whole, we're looking at actual issues in actual areas that may be unique to that area or that group of people, and we're looking to solve that problem or fix that issue. And it's, it's would you say there was like a pragmatic element to the whole, to as opposed to centralized ideology-driven stuff.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you're not going to see in a national – I'll tell you what, there's some issues in your local city. I'm sure where you live, there's some local city issues. Mm -hmm. But you don't see in the Democratic national platform, we got to fix this one street uh, in New Jersey, you know what I mean? But uh, a local platform solves that, you know what I mean, that decentralized uh, policy platform. Um, Let
0: me ask you this, too. Just as a general question, I mean, do you think that um, isn't politics? Wasn't the I don't want to say the nature because it's always had ulterior motives and this and that. But like, like at root, or even in an ideal world, isn't politics supposed to be about society kind of solving society's problems, making those compromises, getting things done, and like just governing people governing themselves? Like, when did we get into this? misguided idea that like no politics is about this concrete ideology and like zero sum game of winning at all costs rather than solving actual problems we're going to have disagreements as people like you said everything's people are what drives everything people are going to disagree and sound minds can disagree but can't we still solve like actual problems locally i mean we've gotten so far away from
1: that well, that's I can give you a quick answer right here is because when making it that, you know, that kind of a concrete, this is the way it is. You know, those people that get elected, they benefit off of that, my man. Uh, yeah. They're making some sweet, sweet cash and insider trading after uh, dividing us, uh, making us fight each other uh, and making sure that it's this concrete rule, this iron fist of this is how we're going to do it. it. There's no no conversation. And if you disagree with me you are the enemy and i gotta right. fight you can i right. <laughs> uh, and i rick i'm gonna answer this uh the question is how do you get that in any different what the other third parties have done that have been around for a long time so the way that the stair party functions First of all, we understand that it's gonna take a while, a good while before we even get a city council position uh, because we're a new party and it's starting up. How the stair party functions is we're not focused, all party bureaucracies as it stands from what I know, even in third parties is we are focused on getting uh, ballot access and getting elected and then we solve your issues. How the stair party functions is when you start a chapter uh, and this goes for anyone who wants who's like, "Oh, maybe I should start a chapter, you're there to, even if you're not in office, what can you do to help out? Um, even and this is an example uh, at my university. you know, there's local issues that are solving there, and we have a chapter there called the Stair Party of Kutztown University. Even though we're not the student body president, we don't have a starist in the student body president seat. That doesn't mean that we can't help around campus uh, working with clubs or engage, helping with protests um, and even working with members of that student government to make sure that issues are, are solved. So the stair party wants to help in any way we can. And by doing that, when you start a chapter, your thought isn't, how do we get ballot access? How do we get elected? I mean, that's a thought, obviously. You have to keep that long-term goal in mind, but also, hmm, You know, a community garden would work there. Why don't we get, you know, the community together, get some local community leaders to get that community garden set up that possibly you don't even need to be elected to do that. So the way we differ ourselves and we believe that we can be unique is that instead of saying, elect us and then we'll give you food, we're gonna try to give you food first. And then, you know, seeing how sterism has helped you uh, that sounds religious holy shit uh no 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 <laughs> let me rephrase that no but
0: i like it i, I like the philosophy. i just you told me this yesterday and i think even i was in the wrong paradigm we're all in this paradigm that if you're a party then you're automatically trying to get elected and if you can't get the presidency or you can't secure a huge number of seats in a state or somewhere else then you're really irrelevant and i think you shifted my paradigm and what you're saying makes a ton of sense to me continue but I just wanted to say I mean it does resonate with me you you know a council seat is down the road even but you'll get there by the outreach first you're 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 actually putting into practice and into motion the philosophies from a societal standpoint that you believe in and gaining actual seats somewhere is is secondary to that initial push and I think that's just a paradigm shift for many
1: Right. right I mean, I'm glad you stopped me there because I was starting to ramble
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine it's I think i really that really does resonate. I think it makes a lot of sense you know yeah and then they're saying you know you're not talking about a political party, you're talking about a lobby group or activist group i I say, does it really even matter how it's labeled i mean it's it's uh does it matter? Like, do you think it matters, Alex? Do you think it matters how it's labeled? If somebody were to call it, start a chapter, say, in another state and say, I don't want to call it a political party. I want to call it like a a social group or something. And then, you know, wh- what do you think about that?
1: I think that's a completely legitimate concern because you do have to categorize these things. You know, right. what is considered a political party and what is considered just an activist group? Well, the main difference is that we do have a platform and right. that we do have a plan if, you know, 40 years if this party right. ever becomes uh, significant enough if the presidency is gained we have a we have a plan of action for that it's not just an activist group of helping out there's also we're an activist group trying to help out with our local community and also if we get into elected positions we have more of an ability to help you guys out so right it's it's another level
0: right so tell me about and I know will in here is a long time listen I know he's been talking to me all week about the you validate thing because the police videos came out and they didn't do anything but that's way it's, it's off topic for us but I'll, I'll touch on it later maybe will for you but um I wanted to hear about you said you had like secular people Catholics conservatives liberals in the stair party right now Um, what like how did that come about like tell me about your progress so far on the ground in Pennsylvania I mean tell me how it's gone so far tell the people how it's gone so far
1: well, the most exciting news I will say, because the Stair Party Kutztown University started up a few months ago, and we've been we've been doing. I guess that would be some. I Again, I, that would be some exciting stuff to talk about. Um, when the Stair Party Kutztown University started up, uh, I had the wanting to get involved with student government, right, mm-hmm. um, and see where I can help out. Right, uh, and I lost. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I just got into college. Whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I ran again uh, spring semester. And um, you know, I this time like after my previous loss, no, I, I ran I had the mid year elections and then the first the first semester elections or whatever, the new student representative elections. So I ran two elections, lost both. And they were like, this, with the second election, I was messaged. I was like, oh, man, you know, you were just like one vote away. You were so close. We had to recount the votes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, well, you know, I'll get them next time. At least, you know, the word's getting out about me. Um, and then I ran in the spring and I lost again. And I was right. like, okay, well, obviously I'm doing something wrong because, I mean, I had endorsements from people. Uh, I knew people were voting for me. I had a mm-hmm. list of the people who voted for me, because um, I had friends and whatnot. Um, and I was like, all right, well, this is a little strange. Can I see the, uh, how many people voted for me, or at least the percentages or something like that, some sort of election results, so I can match up my data and see what I did wrong and where I can uh, help myself. Right. And they were like, sorry, we don't release election results. And I was okay. like I was like, "Oh, interesting." Right. Well, there's a problem. <laughs> right. There's a problem that needs to be solved. Um so, those are, that's, I mean, that's an example of that local platform type deal. So, that is something that's interesting going around uh, in Pennsylvania for the Stare party is that Stare party of Kutztown University. Um, the most interesting recent thing I can tell you of, and I can't tell you too much because it's still in the works, uh, is I've been talking with uh, the Pirate Party. Which is a, a sort of—it's a, libert- a type of libertarian party. Mm-hmm. Um, now ta- I'm talking with some other third parties, and we're looking into creating a sort of coalition of American third parties, not merging, but as right. in like working together towards the common goal of destroying the duopoly. And a lot of movements there. Uh, I can't—I sp- can't spill too many beans because everything's still in negotiations. Right. Um, but. That's the most exciting thing that's going on with the stair party, other than the stair party. Kutztown University, uh, you know, there's the normal thing of us starting chapters. Uh, there's something going on in Minnesota, and okay. North Dakota, and in Louisiana, but the I think the biggest news that we got going on is that idea of working together towards common goals is is starting to reel its head within the third-party movement, and we're starting to see that we need to work together in order to combine our resources in order to fight this common goal. So that's the most exciting thing going on right now.
0: That's interesting. So, And then that's several states, so Louisiana, North Dakota, Minnesota. That's, that's really interesting. Now, how do you get, like, when you approach these people, say, in the university, how have you approached people, and how have you gotten them to kind of be interested in joining the movement? I mean, how? what's your pitch that you not, you don't have to give me your pitch, but how have you met people? What kind of outreach have you done to kind of speak to people? Has it just been around campus? Has it been through any political groups or debates? I mean, what has really got people into the fold that you found works?
1: Uh, okay, here we go. Yeah. It's a different pitch for different people because at the end of the day, these are people I'm having conversations with. Um, I'm not going up there, you know, I'm not at a, I'm not at a booth in a convention center uh, saying like, you know, have you seen this yet? (laughs) Right. Here's the stair party. Uh, Usually how I, you know, I have these, it's just genuine conversations where it's like, Oh, you know, this is how, this is what I support. This is what I think. It's like, Oh yeah, man, this is crazy. Uh, And you know, we just naturally talk about it. It's like, Oh yeah, I'm starting the stair party. It's like, Oh, that's cool. Blah, blah, blah. So it's, there's no pitch honestly i haven't really thought of a pitch it's just okay having conversations with people and saying oh you know that's cool have you seen what i'm doing i'm doing some things in third-party space maybe you want to get involved oh yeah maybe why not there's the basic pitch of like here's what the platform is but other than that it's it's pretty free form yeah okay i like it
0: i like it now how can people find out more and i'll obviously share links and things so they could read more about it and read the platforms and whatnot but if people are interested a in connecting with you are you open to just like general friend requests and and correspondence and b how can they learn more about the stair party and how can they get involved
1: well i'll tell you this i'm always open to talking um Mm -hmm. you know i'm not going to turn down someone (laughs) i'm too busy yeah i I don't need you guys in my life i got things going on (laughs) no um if you guys want to reach out, uh, the best thing you can do is go to the Stair Party website. And if you actually just look up Stair Party, we're the first page on Google. Because again, that marketing thing, no one's called their thing the Stair Party. So we're right there. Um, look up the Stair Party, it's right there. Go to the contact page, write something up, and then I'll, I'll email you for my personal email. Because um, I, I personally look at all the messages myself. Um, so, yeah, I'm always open, even uh, if just to conversation. Uh, if you want to start a chapter, we'll look into it, anything like that.
0: Awesome. So, and what I'll do, too, is I'll share the website. I'll share your contact information. I obviously tagged you already. I will tag you again, like, all week in the next two weeks just following this show. I really like... A lot of what you're doing, a lot of what you're saying, I want to follow your progress, like both out there in Kutztown and in Pennsylvania and nationwide, and kind of just generally touch base with you, you know, not only on the stairism and the stair party and your progress in that regard. But also touch base with you um, with respect to, you know, issues. If issues come up and I think we need a more moderate uh, point of view or just in general, I'll just have you on the show, uh, you know, every so often and periodically. And, and, you know, we can get involved together that way. And I think people can continue to follow up with you. And, you know, we can help you build something because, quite frankly, I mean, and I hate it when I was your age and people would tell me that. But, I mean, it's true, man. You're. You're a young man, you're a young person, but you really have a lot of good ideas, a lot of outside-the-box ideas, and I think, um, you know, you deserve recognition for it, and I think more and more people will get involved, and you will continue to evolve as you go through things, too, and I think it's just going to be a good thing. So I'm excited to see where it goes, and I'm excited to continue having conversations with you about it and, you know, excited to keep you coming on here and uh, talking to the people because I love the perspective, and I love just knowledge-based people coming on this show. It's what the show's all about.
1: Yeah, man. I mean, just for a personal thing, uh, you know, I was listening to the podcast before I, mm-hmm. I came on and, uh, also one of my party members listened to the podcast. He's actually the, he's actually the Catholic from Louisiana. <laughs>
0: oh, cool. We have it. a Louisiana guy on here too. He's going to be a guest, Tom over here, I think. So,
1: oh, maybe, maybe yeah. Tom could, uh, could, uh, pop in with my, my boy, uh, in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, have a crawfish boil or something that's that's what that's what that's what he's told me that's what matt told me that's the guy from louisiana tells me what they do uh i've literally
0: watched crawfish videos just because i'm so like interested in it i've never had it but that's that's totally beside the point but we'll talk to them about that i want to i want more info on the crawfish
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah uh and i would just like to say personally i i respect your your fervor at these podcasts you know speaking your mind And I love the conversations that happen in chat. You know, these respectful conversations. There's no, like, I hate you. It's like, hey, listen, you know, this is how I feel. I disagree. I agree, blah, blah, blah. I like to talk about Ross Perot. He is a legend. Um, And I think, I guess you had Bernie Sanders, and I think you're right. Bernie Sanders had the support, had support from, he had popular legitimacy. Ross Perot had the money. I think right. now third parties to become significant, they have, it's not only do you have the support of the people, uh, because the only thing that's really getting in the way of third parties becoming more significant at this point and people getting involved in the third party movement is like these archaic ideas of like the wasted vote myth. Oh, you're wasting your vote. If you vote for a third party, you're yes. wasting your vote, voting for the billionaire com- fucking parties that are like, doesn't, don't care for you right you know you're wasting your vote voting for them they're the people you don't like what's going on in the united states you're voting for them so um you know the 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 fervor is there the activists the want for a third party is there it's just a matter of us third parties getting together to work together number one and also just i guess that just this is my personal bias just Getting involved whenever, wherever we can, you know what I mean? Yes, uh, going back to that idea of like helping out with the community, even if you're not in elected office. So, yeah,
0: and that's that's great. And you already see Crimson Joker, uh, said he already pulled it up and he's down with you. So, there you got You got at least one new person who's interested, and I believe Crimson might be on the west coast. So, there you go. Um, you know, so <laughs>
1: this is about to be a coast to coast party baby. <laughs> and that's huge, man. Yeah. Minnesota, Louisiana, Pennsylvania to wherever you are on the West coast.
0: Yes. I love it. So, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the kind words about the podcast too. And, you know, we had the chat active and we had the live listeners and we have many more listeners who downloaded throughout the week. So hopefully you get even more, uh, yeah. See, California, crimson jokers in California. So there you go. um, So, you know, hopefully you get more and more traction, and hopefully we both get more and more traction, and not because of our own, you know, egos, but because we're trying to spread a more positive, pragmatic, uh, you know, thing out there, And, and Will, like he said, he's in Oregon, so... Um, you're getting some, you know, states in the fold, man, and and I think people are receptive to you, and I'm receptive to you, so I'm sure other people will be. We've just got to connect to these other people who have like minds and want to be pragmatic and and really accomplish things and move away from this ideological warfare that we have going on now.
1: There is so, big potential here. Yes, uh, we. It's just about a tapping into it. There's like a. It's like there's this like this crust, and there's just like a whole. Mine of gold that we're just sitting on of potential to make a breakthrough against this duopoly. Yes, it's just a matter of connecting, making this a people thing, not an ideology thing. No more with the neo Puritan movement. It's time for a next step. Uh, One more thing. Uh, I don't know if you're if we're logging off.
0: Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna log off in like a, a minute or two. Yeah.
1: All right. I wanted to say, William, about Bernie. I was. Uh, I'm personally, I wasn't like a huge fan of burning, um,
0: I wasn't necessarily either. I mean, it, yeah. he's very left. I don't want to get into that. Well, no, you get into it. I'm just, I'm not going to get into it. I've gotten <laughs> I, into it so many times.
1: I, I wasn't going to get too much into it. Uh, with no, but Bur- you, yeah. But I was just going to say, gonna say that, that, that for the people that supported Bernie, <laughs> I was really disappointed because again, I, we might disagree, but I, I respect that you, you should have the ability to vote for who you want to. Um, mm-hmm. political pluralism and political diversity is very important and we have a lack of that in this country right now thanks to uh, two party system um, I was really disappointed that Bernie just kind of dropped out because it was like he was rallying people and he was getting people you know, going and those people that were supporting him and he was just like no I'm just going to drop out and I was like dude you're like 80 you're like 70 something <laughs> this, is, this is your one shot to become president you're just going to drop out like bro Maybe he was threatened, I don't know man, but I think he probably just saw like I
0: think the Trump movement was so vehement that he thought, look, I, if he ran as a third party or stayed in, then Trump had a real chance of winning and I think I think Bernie like whether we like him or not, I think he really has some serious convictions and he saw that and he was like I cannot in good conscience Let that happen. So that's my speculation. The second time, anyway. First time, him staying in as long as he did might have done it. I don't know. I mean, we could all speculate, but that's my opinion of maybe why he did it. But I see your point too.
1: The wasted vote mess got to Bernie's head.
0: I think it did. I think it definitely (laughs) did. You know. So yeah. See, and that's what that's what Tom's saying too. But. And and again I think the beauty of this is we can get sucked into a national debate about third parties in presidential elections but I mean that's not where starism is right now so that's kind of a red herring I feel like in this conversation it's fun to talk about and to explore in an abstract philosophical sense but we're talking about local stuff right now with stairism yeah, yeah. so you know we're not there yet you know you're not there yet and I don't think it could be fun but I don't know that how productive it is to talk about national politics, presidential elections with third parties. Yeah, fine. Let's talk about council elections with the stair party though, or or mayor elections. You know, I think that's where you are and I think that's how politics really develops is organically locally. So I just think energy's better spent you know, on, on those localized conversations. But that's me, you know.
1: Right. I mean this is a federal government. Your state and local governments have more power than the federal government with all due respect. Right. You gotta I think there was a there was a tweet from the Pirate Party that was pretty basic, but I really liked it where it was like it's time to start taking local politics seriously because at the end of the day the city council is what's funding your you know, your streets and your clean your streets to be clean. It's not the federal government you know, Joe right. Biden isn't looking at, you know, West Third Avenue is like, oh, yeah, that street right there needs to be cleaned. So,
0: Exactly. And that's where we really like that's where most of it matters. Like, does it matter so much? I mean, yes, of course, SCOTUS making a ruling matters. But even SCOTUS overturning Roe v. Wade, you, it matters more what your state's doing because they just took away federal protections. Now, what is your state doing in terms of abortion rights? I mean, we concentrate so much on what a president is saying or doing, and it matters for some macro issues. Like, but on a micro scale, even in his own administration, his actual moves and things matter much less than a lot of other people and entities and local governments to our daily lives. So it's Personal. just it's how we think in this hyper media, sensationalized society. But you know, that's not really the paradigm. I think this conversation, or even stareism at this juncture, is really looking to. Getting tangled with, I think it's more local stuff. So.
1: Exactly, and yeah. personally, uh, if you've listened to Biden for more than five seconds, he starts—he uh, starts starts getting a little loony. So uh, right. you know, <laughs> it's not. I don't know if you really ha- can listen to him for more than five seconds. Right. No, Biden. <laughs> yeah, he has
0: some weird. He's—he's. He's, I think he's a nice old man. I like not hearing from him that much. But yeah, it's not like I sit around and like. He's not Barack Barack Obama like as a speaker not even close so I mean Yeah obviously
1: <laughs> obviously you know I'm I'm joking around but uh... Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) But Alex, listen,
0: I'm going to, I'm going to wind the show down and everything. So I really appreciate you coming on. I I will definitely share ways for people to find out more about starism, more about you. I will promote it. Uh, Please promote this show. I will promote this show. And then we, you and I will continue to talk uh, in general, and then we'll schedule another date soon for you to hop back on. And we look forward to, for you, you know, being a continuing guest on the show.
1: I'm always willing to come on, man. I'll catch you later.
0: All right, later, Alex. Thanks for coming on. Good night, brother. Bye. Bye. Yeah, so that was another another good guess, and that was just organic. I mean, guys, that was organic. Uh, Alex kind of sent me a message because of what we've been doing on the show, and it shows, you know, how um, it just shows how things can develop organically with this, this podcast. Um, so I hope you all had a good time listening to me in my early hour with, without my little lubricant that I usually have still going strong, and I hope you enjoyed the, uh, interview with Alex. I think he's, uh, got a really, um, a really promising future, and I I look forward to having him on regularly. Uh, will, I will. I will post it on the discussion board. I'll invite Alex to the discussion page, the group. I will share... Um, his material on my personal Facebook page and on the Logic and Larry page so that you guys are going to be able to um, you guys are going to be able to uh, reach out to him and find out more about him because I do think it's, it's very well worth it. Other than that, guys, if you have missed any part of the show, we'll be available hopefully by tonight on every major podcasting platform. If you're listening, thank you for continuing to listen live. Thank you for continuing to listen on downloads. If you don't listen live, some of you guys listen live some days and then download other days, whatever it is. You're all part of the Logic and Larry family. I love spending time with you guys. I love talking to you. And uh, Crimson, thank you so much that you know for sticking around and listening to the podcast. Really, really appreciate it, brother. Welcome to the family. Everybody who's new to the show, everybody who's been here, we're all part of this family, man. It's a movement. And now the movement is joining with other movements to continue to press forward and make a positive impact on this societal dialogue. So welcome. Thank you all for spending the Friday night with me. I will be back, I think, in two weeks. I will be back again for another episode of Logic and Larry. Unless something crazy happens in the news, I'll do a special edition if I need to. But until then, pay attention to the news and uh, get ready for another show very soon. And, uh, and will yeah, Will, thanks, man, no problem. And, uh, I know you do. I know you enjoy the Monday at work and I love that because you usually text me when you're listening sometimes and I look forward to your texts on those days. But guys, have an awesome night. Have a beautiful weekend. Enjoy the heat. If you enjoy those sort of things, go in the pool, spend time with your family, fire up the grill, whatever it is. Everybody, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining. Thank you for participating. You're what makes this show work. And uh, I will talk to all of you in a couple weeks. Until then, God bless and good night. And, Will, if you're going to be in Jersey, you ruined my sign-off, but if you're going to be in Jersey, call me when you're in Jersey, bro. We can get a a drink. But good night, everybody. (laughs)